It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Ainsley Earhart. I'm Charles Payne. I'm Martha McCallum, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, July 26th, 2022. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. Political candidates in Arizona have drawn in national attention as former President Trump and former Vice President Mike Pence held dueling rallies in the state this past weekend. But in a state trending purple, will Democrats dominate midterms there? One GOP Senate candidate has his doubts about that. This is not a purple state. This is red. We have two Democrat senators. Uh, I'm the only candidate. Per that polling that you see that's going neck and neck uh, with Kelly. I'm Dave Anthony. Monkeypox keeps spreading, mostly among gay and bisexual men, but why? And will it spread in large numbers outside that group? If there's any lesson we have from COVID, it's that sometimes the correct answer when we're asked a question is we don't know. We just can't really figure it out right now. And I'm Paul Morrow. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Arizona's primary is one week from today, and it's a test of a few things, including former President Trump's endorsement power. He rallied over the weekend with his pick for Arizona Governor Kerry Lake and was joined by his pick in the Senate race, Blake Masters. The people of Arizona are going to fire radical left Democrats. You're going to elect an incredible slate of America First Republicans up and down the ballot. But it may also be a test of his power next to Republican alternatives. Trump's former vice president, Mike Pence, held a rally on the same day in Arizona to back Republican candidate for governor Karen Taylor Robeson, who he said had been there to help what he called the Trump-Pence ticket. She's going to secure the border. She's going to empower parents, create even better schools all across this state. And she's going to defend all the God-given liberties enshrined in the Constitution of the United States and of the great state of Arizona. He also thanked current and outgoing Governor Doug Ducey, who was also at Pence's rally. Ducey has rejected Trump's pick, Kerry Lake, saying Taylor Robeson is the real conservative. The bigger test, of course, is what happens in November. Can candidates backed by President Trump win in a state that many now consider purple? Trump was heavily focused on the state where President Biden won narrowly by just 0.3 percent. A post-election audit did not reverse those results. And while Arizona's state offices are dominated by Republicans, they do have two Democratic senators currently. Masters is currently at the top of the polling in the Republican Senate primary, but trailing him is veteran and founder and former chairman of DEPCOM Power in Arizona. The field has begun to segment into leaders, uh, myself and Masters, in the 30s, and uh, we've got a dozen or so percentage points undecided. Jim Lehman is a Republican Senate candidate in Arizona. Uh, We are working uh, very hard across the state. We do a town hall once per week where we bring in several hundred. We're co-hosting with uh, things like Brandon Judd, who, you know, is endorsed and head of the National Border Patrol Council. Um, Sheriff Lamb, kind of America's sheriff. We're just having a great time. There's just huge crowds of Arizonans who want someone who is going to do what they say they will do this time as a businessman, a veteran, you're not a politician or a lawyer. How much do you think former President Trump's endorsement matters? We saw Mr. Masters' campaign get a pretty big boost to the 
I guess, to the top of the polls among Republicans. Can you still win without that endorsement and how? 13 years in Arizona, people uh, know me from being the America First candidate in this race. I mean, I've employed thousands of people in my businesses. Uh, Many of those uh, in Arizona headquartered uh, the company here in Arizona in the power industry. I've also been one to invest in conservatives and in the conservative side of the party. For example, just in the last year, our team has registered 22,000 new Republicans. The other guys have only one office uh, and certainly no voter registration effort. We've opened nine offices across the state with paid staff as well as thousands of uh, volunteers. So we're ready for that Soros uh, Kelly machine where the other guys aren't. And and people are... People are tuned in this year. They recognize that, right? They want someone who is not just going to win the primary, but has the capability, the tenacity, the financials, et cetera, you know, to go up and beat that machine that we're going to face. So, yes, the endorsements of National Border Patrol Council and the Arizona Police and Sheriff's Associations matter quite a bit. So, yes, we are we're working very hard in the race, but, yeah, we're, we're very confident with this the might- uh, particular endorsements. Um, you know, we, we all know Arizona is a pretty purple state I and mean, you guys have two Democratic senators right now. We see in polling, um, you know, the, the Democratic candidate for governor who is uh, on top of the polling there, Katie Hobbs, the current secretary of state. <laughs> Some of that polling shows that she would beat the Republican candidates. Uh, when you sort of look at the landscape of Arizona, what is the plan to appeal to those moderates and those unaffiliated and, as you noted, those undecideds? Yeah, Jessica, the Democrats are flooding the state uh, with polls that, that you mentioned to make the you know, the averages look something very deceptive. This is not a purple state. You know, this is red. We have two Democrat senators. Uh, you know, I'm the only candidate for that polling that you see that's going neck and neck uh, with Kelly. Again, the veteran uh, side of the equation is extremely important in Arizona. I don't want to underemphasize that. And being... Mm that one. Um, the border guys who have endorsed me, the Arizona police and sheriffs, they are highly thought of in Arizona because of all the crime that's coming through the border. And they're active on that uh, campaign trail with us. So those are the issues that the people are tuned into this time. This is not a kind of a superfluous, you know, well, whose ads are showing right. well or not. This feels like a high stakes year for sure. I'd, let's talk about some of the criticism you have faced. Okay, there have been some ads targeting you. One calls you China's candidate. I imagine you have a response to the. I imagine you have a response to that one. They just for our listeners, so they know. In this ad, they say you helped build nuclear power plants for the Chinese government, that you import supplies from China, um, they accuse you of being associated with forced slave labor. I, I imagine you have a response to an ad like that. So, Jessica, uh, as, uh, as the first item, remember this: the, the dollars are coming from globalists. Uh, for Blake Masters, you know, the the guy is relying totally on capital outside of Arizona. 96% of his dollars come from either California or swamp creatures in D.C. Uh, this guy, Peter Thiel, that is in big tech, globalists, uh, giving him, you know, the bulk of that, the balance from Club for Growth, the biggest open borders pro-China group there is out there. Uh, this is a matter of making sure that people understand the lies that are you know, shown in ads. So we've gone up uh, to counter that with some of the veterans that I hired in the group hmm. and building businesses here 
that, you know, they say themselves in the metrics of the company that I built here in Arizona was the increasing the amount of American supplier by American policy. You know, your iPhone is what, about 50% made in China. The power industry is a little better. We're about 35 to 40%, depending on the technology. And in my company, it was 5% because we're so robust in finding American suppliers. Ah. We work with them. We give them a larger order. We give them upfront cash flow in order to re-onshore American manufacturing. So nothing could be further from the truth. These globalists, these guys are spending $26 million in the primary for goodness mm-hmm. sakes. So why would they do that if their candidate was so good or if I was truly what they say I am? I'm the exact opposite. And it's, it's you know, the nature of the business. Yeah. Uh, but I've been uh, going up against odds all my life in terms of business and college football and military as a paratrooper. We know how to we know how to win, and that's what we're doing. Um, one more criticism line that I have to ask you about, um, especially from your Republican rivals, is that you're not from Arizona. I think Mr. Masters even pointed out your accent during a debate. Um, but, but some journalists have used your misspelling of the word Tucson against you, I think, in one particular social media post. What is your response to that, that you're not you know, from the state you want to represent? Yeah, Masters, it's interesting. It's, it's a bit like the globalist uh, attacking me when I'm the pro-American candidate and have built you know business around that. Uh, same thing, uh, Masters uh, went to high school here. Then he ventured off into California where he spent uh, the, his whole adult life, minus the last three years when he came back to Arizona. So he's you know, college-educated uh, in California. He's only worked in California in the big tech sector. So nothing uh, could be you know, further from the truth there. Uh, we have, I've been here 13 years built billion-dollar company uh, in Arizona, hiring hundreds of thousands uh, across the country, particularly in Arizona. And I'm fortunate to, to be battle-tested in the big leagues of the power industry in this country, you know, building some of the largest, most efficient coal plants, gas plants, largest solar plants in the country. This guy's never created a job. He's just not up for the task. He can do it, you know, maybe one day. You know, he's, he's young. He's smart. But uh, you're going to need someone seasoned to go against uh, Kelly, and I intend to bring that uh, robustly. Uh, cannot wait until we get through this primary and start going after Mark Kelly, who ran as a moderate and has been anything but. And I am going to be brutal against that guy. You've referenced throughout the interview, and that is that you run a large company. Uh, I believe it is a solar company, and you're a Republican. And I think people might be interested in, in that. As you watch the debate we are having over energy, and as you've noted, it's a key driver of inflation right now, what are your thoughts? Should we be pumping more oil, refining more oil, and at the same time, investing in solar, wind, electric car charging stations all at the same time? In the macro, desk, I would say all of the above. You know, Not just being uh, getting back to energy independence, because we've got the most bountiful resources on the planet. In the power sector, you know, we should be energy dominant. And it's not actually a solar industry. It's a power industry that we're in. We build, design and build, operate, maintain large-scale power plants. Uh, originally, in the coal and gas industry, right. uh, the largest, most efficient in the country, when Obama killed the coal industry, I moved coal and gas, seasoned uh, utility size power plant design operators over to solar sector, so I'm looking very forward to that discussion uh, with Kelly, who's yeah. you know worked hard to destroy 
America's energy system. Being an energy guy, I'll know more about energy than anyone else on the Senate floor. Not being arrogant, it's just, you know, the resume that I'm fortunate has built. Sure. And in doing that, that is the number one key to tackling this inflation issue that's gone crazy and is wreaking havoc, you know, with the working families and get the spending under control. Um, you, you've highlighted that you've got Border Patrol Union endorsement um, and new data out Monday shows Border Patrol counts 500,000 gotaways just this fiscal year alone. Um, and, and that's with a few months left of this Border Patrol's fiscal year. I want to know what you would do in the Senate in the short term, knowing you have a Democratic president who could veto border-related legislation. I, I know you talked to that talk show host and you said that a good idea would be sending those who cross illegally to islands to do labor instead of just sending them back to Mexico. Were you being serious about that? Like, what, what would you want to do in the Senate? Surely, let's start with how bad this is. And Jessica, again, with that endorsement, I'm a hands-on guy as a business guy, so I need to understand issues so I can go to the Senate, be prepared for the people of Arizona and America. You know, we're talking 52,000 a week Jessica, it's insane what is happening. We've got to shut this down. What I want to do, number one, is remain in Mexico policy. You know, that was an executive order from Trump. Biden tears it up. I have to do everything I can to send it forward to get that codified into law so it can be enforced by the Border Patrol so they can do their job and turn every one away. Second, complete the wall three, mandatory E-Verify, as we do in my company. And then uh, number four, in sanctuary cities. This cannot be by accident that we've opened up this border, but it's not fair to the American people, nor is it fair to those who come through our country in the legal version. I've met so many people in Arizona that, hey, I waited the right way. And it's just not fair that these people just walk in and get processed for benefits. They're an American taxpayer. Jim Lehman, candidate for Senate in Arizona. Thank you so much for your time. Jessica, thank you. And have a wonderful day. And uh, come visit us in Arizona. It's a beautiful state. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. This is Paul Morrow with your Fox News commentary coming up. It's the newest virus of concern, monkeypox. We have an outbreak that has spread around the world rapidly through new modes of transmission about which we understand too little. But we do know this. For the moment, this is an outbreak that's concentrated among men who have sex with men. World Health Organization Director Dr. General Tedros Ghebreyesus declared it a public health emergency of international concern over the weekend. With more than 16,000 cases globally, almost all of them men, more than 2,600 of those infections here in the U.S. And Republican Congressman Brad Wenstrup, a doctor, worries. Are we prepared as far as testing and treatments? Both are very limited. And so that's a concern because when you are limited in those regards, then the chance of increased spread is greater. So how concerned should we all be? For people who are sexually active within a specific community, they should be very concerned. Dr. Marty McCary is a public health expert, a Johns Hopkins professor who's also a Fox News contributor. 
in terms of a broad threat to the general population, we have to remember that the largest study of monkeypox just came out last week, and it showed that 98% of cases were among those who identify as gay or bisexual. So for those who do not engage in those sexual networks, really, there's no concern at this time. Why that community? What is it that makes that community more prone than others? It's something about the prolonged direct physical contact. And it's not just men who engage in sexual activity with men. It's more commonly among those who engage in activity among with men they don't know. And that's how these networks spread quickly. It began in sort of the nightclub scene in Europe and then spread quickly from there. And we were just late to diagnose this and to recognize it, to educate physicians on how to look for it and to make testing available. The symptoms, I see all the pictures of people with sores. I know some people have had it worse than others, like almost all of these kinds of viruses. What should people look for to know that, oh, I might be infected? Well, first of all, the good news is there is yet to be a death from monkeypox in the United States. People start with flu-like symptoms, could be fatigue, muscle ache, and then they get swollen lymph nodes typically. And then at some point, a few weeks into it, a rash forms. And it may not be the classic rash you see on TV with all the, the vesicles, you know, multiple vesicles in one spot. It may just be one or a couple. And the CDC has reported that it could be in the genital area maybe 40 or 50 percent of the time. So that's what people should be aware of. And they should just know that right now it is going around in that uh, specific community. So that's a group for which now the U.S. has said, if you engage in those activities, then you should get vaccinated. But the U.N. says there's no little evidence to suggest that monkeypox will remain confined to this group of men. Do you agree with that? We're going to see. We kind of missed the opportunity to snuff this out and to contain it early. Now it's at large and it's very difficult to address once there's so much seeding in the population, which there is at this point. Okay. All right. So skin to skin contact, is that still possible for people who are not having sexual activity? It's possible, but remember, it's contact with the rash because the area of the rash or the vesicle is the part that's contagious. So just giving your friend or a loved one a hug is of no concern. As a matter of fact, just to give you a sense as to how hard it is for this to spread, they do not even recommend vaccinations for monkeypox for lab workers who deal with the specimens. They've considered those individuals to be low risk. So it does require prolonged Uh, strong contact, skin to skin with the the rash or the skin lesion. Now, last week it was reported there were two young children who were infected with monkeypox. Of course, that makes people more concerned. Oh, we're all, you know, we're all in danger. How would that happen? You know, it's hard, hard for me to put those pieces of the puzzle together. It could be that somebody was holding a child and there was prolonged contact with the skin rash area. But there's some things we're going to learn about monkeypox. And if there's any lesson we have from COVID, it's that sometimes the correct answer when we're asked a question is we don't know. We just can't really figure it out right now. Okay, so you are not generally worried about the general population getting monkeypox. Outside of the sexual networks of men having sexual activity with other men they don't know, I don't think there's a public health threat or concern for the general population. All right. So we shouldn't all go out and get the vaccine, which is hard to get anyway, right? 
It, it is in limited supply, and right now it's just recommended for those who are high risk. So, no, it's uh, um, not a vaccine that's recommended at large. Now a virus much easier to get, COVID. This virus is going to be with us forever. Uh, it's really, really important that people build up their immunity against this virus. Though the new Omicron subvariant causing the most infections lately is more able to evade natural immunity and vaccines. There are a lot of infections, but when, when people are vaccinated and boosted, they tend to have uh, far less serious illness. White House COVID response coordinator Dr. Ashish Jha says that is the case with President Biden, who got that BA5 strain, which Dr. McCary has tracked closely. We did see it peak in Europe, and it did not really result in any appreciable increase in hospitalizations beyond what you might see of the normal ebb and flow of viral pathogens that come and go seasonally. So that Europe has always been a reliable preview of what to expect in the United States. And essentially, that's what we have right now, a common cold-like virus, because population immunity is high and Omicron is intrinsically less virulent or dangerous. So it's going around and probably 92 or 94 percent of the population will get infected with COVID at some point, most likely Omicron. There are are these stories I've been reading about uh, a smaller and smaller group of people in the U.S. who've yet to get COVID. I've yet to test positive for COVID. I don't know if I've had it, obviously, because there's a lot of asymptomatic cases. So at some point you think I'm going to get this and I'm going to know I have it. Well, it's hard to know if you have had an asymptomatic case, which is common. Right. People often are not monitoring their I might symptoms. have had it three times. I have no idea. <laughs> you know, people can get very mild symptoms and, and just think that they were tired from working hard or a workout or something like that. So sometimes it's hard to know if somebody truly had it in the past. I've heard stories on both extremes. People are certain they had it and they didn't and vice versa. But um, certainly people who have not had Omicron, if you've not had COVID, this year, it is likely that you will get it if you haven't gotten it already, because BA5 is so highly contagious that it's it's going around. It's sort of spreading like wildfire. And, you know, we had a family reunion for my family, about 30 of us. It was long overdue, very powerful to restore those human connections. Yeah. Omicron went around and two or three people were a little sick for one day, but it was well worth it. So, People are going to have to judge their own individual risk and decide whether or not they want to go ahead and live their lives. I mean, people people are still dying. I mean, we had the most deaths in the Johns Hopkins tracker last week than we've had since early May. The deaths are very difficult to interpret because they don't correlate with what we're seeing on the ground. When I talk to doctors at hospitals around the country, they're not seeing people die from COVID at any appreciable degree beyond you know, what we might see in a normal respiratory pathogen uh, season. So everyone's going to have to determine their own individual risk. But the deaths of people who are dying from other things with a COVID positive test are often still getting counted as COVID deaths. So we don't have a good compass, really, of what it's doing in the hospital. Okay. I know that we've talked, you know, many times through this COVID pandemic, and you've always been a big proponent of saying, look, vaccines are great, but if you've had it before, natural immunity helps. What has changed? We're, we're seeing stories of people getting a second or third or fourth infection. You, you earlier just said that if you haven't had Omicron, you're probably going to get it. What changed with this variant? 
Well, it's evading the body's antibodies. The antibodies are not binding because they, the virus is evolving. And that's sort of the natural history of viruses. Now, the antibodies are not binding and therefore you are likely to get COVID, but the memory B cells and the memory T cells are still activated, still effective and still prevent against severe illness, which is why you can get COVID, but you don't get into serious trouble and hospitalizations with COVID at anywhere near the rate. And that's okay. been pretty consistent. OK. And so your body naturally does that and the vaccines both. They both do that, right? That's right. Both are effective in doing that. And neither of them are perfect at doing that. Yeah, well, we have maybe new vaccine formulation in the fall, right? Is there going to be something that we're going to be able to get as a booster that deals with Omicron more specifically? Yes, there's a vaccine that's being prepared that will be available soon for the fall, which will include an Omicron-specific mRNA vaccine. There's also, and that they're going to be pushing that hard as a public health community. Um, the problem is that it was developed for the earlier Omicron variants, BA1 and BA2. Now we have BA5, and we know that it works a little less effectively against BA5. It's going to be hard to keep up with this rapidly evolving virus. And so another option for people is if Covaxin gets approved, that's another traditional vaccine that gives you better protection against variants because it's an inactivated whole virus vaccine. So you get protection, you get antibodies to the entire surface of the virus. That's believed to be a little better against variants. So if that gets approved, I would probably recommend that for folks who are high risk. A lot of us have all these tests at home. How successful, how accurate are these home tests in your view? Well, you know, there's a thought that perhaps President Biden had gotten COVID a week prior to the announcement and perhaps the antigen tests were not picking it up. We know that as the virus evolves with BA5, it may not be as accurate as it was with prior strains like the original Wuhan strain. So in the pre-symptomatic phase, we have to remember that you're talking about maybe a 50% chance of picking it up. And once you've got symptoms, that goes up. But we really don't know how the new variants are not being picked up as well. So always get a PCR test if you're absolutely concerned or you're very sick and the doctors really need to know what you have. So like new vaccines, we may need to reformulate the tests? That's right. The tests can only keep up. And there's an effort now to say, you know, the antigen tests are really not what we should be relying on. And we should probably test less frequently. The idea of testing everybody twice a week in college for college sports, the virus is ubiquitous. It's at large. It's everywhere. And it's inevitable. So there's an effort now to say, let's back off on this sort of mass testing, trying to chase down every case in America. It's basically at large and inevitable. Dr. Marty McCary, Fox News medical contributor, public health expert, professor at Johns Hopkins. Always good to talk to you. Thanks, Doc. Thanks so much, Dave. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to Tyrus and Tim. Every week, Fox Nation host Tyrus and Fox News contributor Kat Tim give their hot takes, explore weird headlines, and share amusing stories. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Paul Morrow. What's on your mind? Captain David Dorn is not a name known to most of us. Dorn, a retired St. Louis police captain, was killed in the rioting following the death of George Floyd. 
Yet while much of the national media has chosen to ignore the resulting trial and the shockingly quick guilty verdict, his killing highlights many of the same issues as the Jose Alba case in New York. And it demonstrates what happens when a city's prosecutor abdicates her role and the people push back. A quick summary of the facts. In the aftermath of the Floyd killing, the St. Louis area experienced three days of demonstrations, rioting, and looting. Buildings were set on fire. Four police officers were shot. And 77-year-old David Dorn, retired after 38 years with St. Louis PD, went to a friend's pawn shop to guard it against looters where he was shot four times, dying at the scene as the looters descended on the store. The law enforcement response to the unrest was telling. The police made 36 arrests, despite being badly outnumbered and having four colleagues shot. All 36 were released by Prosecutor Kim Gardner's office. You may recall Gardner. She is the prosecutor who insisted on charging Mark and Patricia McCloskey for standing on their front lawn while brandishing guns in response to BLM marchers who were trespassing on private property. But while no arrests were achieved on the four cop shootings, police got lucky on the Dorn murder. Recovered at the scene was the identification of a man named Mark Jackson. They picked up Jackson, who named a friend, Stephen Cannon, as the shooter. Cannon was known to St. Louis police. Released on 2013 robbery and assault charges, he faced a seven-year sentence if he violated probation, which he reportedly did in 2018. Instead of revoking probation, the judge sentenced him to... Continued probation. In 2020, not long before the Dorn murder, he was again arrested on a theft charge. As a result of video evidence gathered at the pawn shop, coupled with Jackson's statements, St. Louis PD arrested Cannon for Dorn's murder. Cannon chose to take the case to trial. Now, one thing must be made clear. This was not the Jose Alba case. The evidence was nowhere near as clear and compelling. While video placed Cannon at the scene and armed with a handgun, it did not show him shooting Dorn. And while police recovered a 22 caliber pistol from Cannon's effects... Testimony at trial suggested a larger caliber weapon may have killed Dorn. Even Jackson's testimony was problematic for the prosecution. In the same interview in which he accused Cannon, Jackson stated, You tell me what to say and I will say it. I'll witness whatever you want me to witness. But none of that ended up mattering. The jury was out just three hours before coming in with a verdict of guilty on all counts. But even with Cannon's guilty verdict, larger questions linger. Why was Cannon not jailed on his probation violation? Did the DA's office even request it? Why were all the protesters immediately released? And perhaps most of all, why did Gardner's office try to avoid prosecuting the Dorn case at all? Yes, Gardner, the lead prosecutor for the city of St. Louis, petitioned the judge to recuse her from the case and appoint a special prosecutor, claiming her office was quote-unquote overburdened. When the judge left her request out of court, noting that it should not even have been made to him, but to the governor, Gardner hired an outside attorney to come in and handle the case. It was this prosecutor, Marvin Teer, a retired judge who hadn't tried a case in over two decades, who got the case over the finish line. In light of all this, the question must arise, was the jury sending a message? Is this rapid verdict, taken together with the recall of Chase Boudin and the dropping of the Jose Alba case in New York, a sign that urban constituents of America's woke prosecutors have finally had enough? Only the jurors know for sure, but what is clear is that when prosecutors morph their roles from law enforcement into legal reformers, a role that our system delegates to legislators, a spirit of anarchy descends. And as we're seeing across the nation, the body counts rise. I'm Paul Morrow for Fox News Radio. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. 
Getting Schooled is a podcast hosted by Fox Nation's Abby Hornacek. Each week, Abby and her expert guests tackle topics we take for granted and help explain the roots and meanings behind them. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America is listening to Fox News. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.